Hey, Beer and Ballet fans, what is up? Thank you so much for coming to another week of Beer and Ballet's podcast. Just wanted to let you know that this was recorded over Zoom, and unfortunately, we had a couple of mic issues. Please bear with us. We tried our very best to have the sound work out for you, um, but there are times where Robert's mic doesn't really pick up exactly what he's saying. So other than that, we hope you enjoy. beer and ballet fans. What is up? I am your host, Amber, and I hope you had a fantastic week. For this podcast, I'd like to take you back to the start of the pandemic, where we had a highlighted dance company or brewery for each class. Um, Not only was this a way to try and raise possible donations for these establishments, but it was a way to raise awareness for these groups. I was so honored to have House of Bambi as one of our highlighted companies, and now I can't believe I get to introduce to our podcast the director, Robert Woofter. Hello! Thank you for having me back. (laughs) Oh, heck yeah! Anytime, anytime. Yeah. Uh, And I can't wait till we're, you know, at a bar together and actually in the same space drinking and dancing. That is what I'm hoping for. (laughs) That's what I want. That's all I want in my heart. Yeah. For, For our listeners, I had just, we were just talking about this. I just moved to Baltimore and I was introduced to House of Bambi and I was so excited to meet everyone and go to the live shows and, and see what this company was about and then COVID. <laughs> so this is one of the first times that face-to-face, even on Zoom, um, me and Robert are sort of meeting together. We've texted and we've emailed and all the things, but now here's, here's your lovely face. I love it. And your lovely face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have asked you this before we started recording, but are, are you sipping on anything good tonight, this evening? I am. Um, I did a terrible job of being prepared and realized that we are not huge beer drinkers at home. Uh, we and love breweries and we love being out with friends at breweries, especially right now when we can be outside mm. at breweries has been excellent, but we very rarely have beer at home. So I had a panic that I was off brand, off script. Um, so I made uh, my new favorite cocktail, which is an aviation. Oh, that's beautiful. Which is a violet liqueur kind of martini gin situation. Mm -hmm. And it's delicious. I'm apparently late to the party because I posted pictures about it on Instagram because it's what I've had consistently for a week. And everyone's like, was that an aviation? I know what that drink is. And I was like, oh, well, thought I was cutting edge. Thought I was (laughs) drinking something unknown, but apparently everyone else already knows about this one. It's unknown to me. It's it's cutting edge to me. Y'all, it was in a beautiful glass. Just this gorgeous purple color. This is great. Um, And my friends, just so y'all know, I am drinking, you know, I was a little little basic tonight, drinking a Natty Bow. (laughs) Nice little pale ale from Baltimore, you know, so. Well, cheers. Cheers. Yeah. (laughs) We're cheersing on Zoom. So, all right, let's get down to it. I, I first want to chat a little bit about you. Um, how did your dancing journey begin? That's a question that gets asked all the time, especially I feel like for men in dance, because everyone's like, oh, like, what was that like? And I have such an uninteresting story because to hear my parents tell it, I literally just walked downstairs one day when I was four and told them that I was going to be a ballet dancer. And that was it. And they have like, 
no idea what the inspiration for that was, who I saw that I, you know, set myself on that trajectory, but it was like, one day I just decided it was going to happen and that's it. And I've had a love-hate relationship with dance ever since. I have quit multiple times, but I always return. Oh, whoa. So why, why quit? Why did you leave? I did a lot of servitory programs throughout my life that were toxic environments as, you know, high, high stress careers that tend towards younger people, you know, we're talking about the career trajectory of, of ballet dancers. It's not an older bunch. So when you get a short time span and a lot of stress, it can get pretty um, intense. And so I've, I have removed myself from it several times. And now my work is how to continue teaching ballet and understanding ballet as uh, a form of mechanics for the body that does not have to necessarily be tied to all of this extra baggage. <laughs> right, yeah. Cause there is this like over cloud with ballet of like the idea of perfectionism, the idea of, you know, yeah, there's a lot, especially yeah. in conservatory. I, I went to a arts middle school, arts high school where it was very strict and trying to be the best in that spot, trying to please your directors. Like that was the main concern of all of us in high school, which is so silly now. <laughs> Cause we're, right. yeah, we're all artists who want to please ourselves. Like we want it, we want our audience to enjoy, it'd be cool. But yeah. you know, we want to please ourselves as well as artists and enjoy what we're doing. Um, that generation of teachers at that time was all brought up in that really strict, gonna get hit with a cane by an old French woman ballet. And so we're looking at you know, sort of generational turnover in teaching dance. And I think a lot of people were really harmed by that generation. <laughs> so, so here we are picking up the pieces and figuring out, okay, well, how are we gonna do this and not, not hurt anyone else? Right, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> emotionally and physically, like. <laughs> How are we going to make sure? Yeah. And, and build that sense of community within this dance world. Cause you know, we all need it right now. So I just wanted to chat about this. I was reading your bio and you have this awesome quote that you say that you live by extravagance is a virtue. So can you talk a little bit more about that? What exactly that, that means to you? I am quiet for the most part. I am a minimalist. Um, I like very few things. I am constantly culling my possessions to have fewer things. And so through my artistic practice, I, I was finding freedom to, to find excess and, and, and sort of the ways that even in a pared down minimalist life, I can still be extravagant. I can still be over the top that like, it's not necessarily um, a tangible excess. It's not a physical, an excess of physical objects. There can just be all of this extravagance and excess in, in presentation that I want to value. And I want to understand how, how even if what I'm doing is not seen as extravagant, I will, I will reinterpret this as, as extravagant and find that that is essential to my being. <laughs> yeah, I was looking, again, I was looking at your website and it was one of the first pieces, one of the first projects that you had. You standing on stage and at first you were wearing a dress, um, standing on one foot with a heel on, <laughs> which is insane by the, I've tried and that's really hard to do. <laughs> um, 
but you held that for so long. And then as the, it's a trailer, so I didn't get to see the full thing, but as the piece kind of rolls on, there's moments where you, you took off the dress and then you took off the wig and you're just yourself on stage. And then there was this really great moment where you got the glitter out. And even you like standing there being yourself, you were like, no, I want to be even more extravagant. Like I want to keep going with it. And and as far as the trailer goes, you you bring the clothes back on and you take them off again. And, and then finally, by the end of it, when you walked off, you were a dancer just walking off stage and, and you left it all on the floor. And that was really great to witness. So yeah, so everybody, please go check out houseofbambi.com, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, There's some really great trailers of your work um, that you have on there. I'm focused on film work right now, um, but part of that was because I always enjoyed making a trailer for my performances. Mm. And there was a period there where I felt like I'm making a piece so that I can make the trailer for it. And it was like, why don't I just make this video <laughs> like, let's let's cut out the middleman and let's let's make a video so you're you're talking about premiering some trailers and like that's kind of some images that you have whenever you choreograph so is that kind of how you start within the choreography is you have these you know almost tableaus i guess of images in your head and then as you go through that choreographic process it, it just kind of expands from there not necessarily uh, with an eye to creating the trailer itself, but I definitely have the way I think about my work as I'm making it is it's just a series of vignettes. It's a series of situations. And I don't necessarily know what happens inside of that situation, but I know that it's there. So I have you know notebooks with things like baptism by glitter. Um, I don't know what that means or a cave where the stalactites are beauty pageant trophies hanging from the ceiling. Like these just scenes that I don't necessarily know there's a tondu on the eight count in this thing. Like, I don't know that stuff um, at first, but I have these like these worlds. And that comes from these notebooks of just writing ideas down, like just throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah, just they, they um, some of them are to be explored later lists. Uh, this is not tied to any project I'm working on, but oh, I just thought of this. And then some of them are very much grounded in the piece that I'm working on. Of This absolutely makes sense in this piece. And that leads to the next one. And that leads to the next one. And so then we we, we kind of chatted about you and a little bit of your your dancing background. And I want to talk a little bit more about your, your relationship with ballet. But let's get to House of Bambi. So age five, you're like... Hey, mom, dad, I'm doing it. Go to conservatories, all the things. And then eventually House of Bambi. So how did that happen? House of Bambi was the name of my graduate thesis, actually. Uh, it stemmed from some research that I was doing in Berlin of rave culture there, part of my grad my grad studies. So that's why house is spelled H-A-U-S, um, House of Bambi. As much as I love being a center of attention, I don't have enough of, I don't have enough energy to sustain that myself. And so when I was thinking of creating work, I always saw it as a collective of people. You know, whether whether it's a rotating collective or a core collective, I really wanted any kind of company I had to be identified as multiple artists with multiple specialties. And so House of Bambi is sort of referencing fashion houses, 
referencing drag, drag queen houses, sort of encompassing that like, this is, I mean, right now it's a pandemic and not much is happening. So it's kind of just me, but in a perfect world where all of my projects are being um, put on <laughs> and not canceled, you know, I've, I've worked with DJs, lighting designers from nightclubs, uh, dancers from, from all different backgrounds. And so House of Bambi is really this like collective, ideally this collective hub where all of these people can come together and create under, under the name. And we premiered our first piece at the Kennedy Center um, under House of Bambi. But ideally what I want to happen is that I am able to step back and, and let, let the company facilitate these collaborations where I don't necessarily have to be the choreographer um, or be the director of, of, of this project or that project. So I want it to be this family of people. And, and I love that because, and, and listeners who like aren't, you know, aren't used to the drag scene, there, there are these houses that happen. And I've always loved that and admired that because it is a family and it's usually a family of collaborators. Um, sometimes, you know, heads, heads butt a little bit and that's okay. It happens in any family, but that's what I love about the drag scene and the different houses within it is because it is this huge friends, family, you, you make your family a little bit. And that's what drew me with House of Bambi is here's this another family, an artistic family who's working together. And I love to hear that you're excited about, you know, the people you brought in and, and what their artistic voices have to say as choreographers. I think that's fantastic. So you just, you kind of, you know, you sprinkled it in a little bit, um, but while you were highlighted, you had just premiered Electric Idols. And this was in collaboration with the Kennedy Center. Do you want to just chat a little bit about that? Was there, I, I think I was reading and I could be wrong, so please correct me. There's like a, an application process or a grant that you guys were given or a spot that you were given, if you just want to chat about that a little bit. Yeah, it's called the Local Dance Commissioning Project. And it's the Kennedy Center, it's their, it's their way to fund companies, local companies, because the Kennedy Center is this internationally recognized presenter of international artists. And yet we have such a vibrant dance scene here in DC and Baltimore and Virginia. And so there's, there's so much going on. So the shorthand is called the LDCP, the Local Dance Commissioning Project. And it's a really amazing, amazing thing. Every year they commission two to three artists or companies to create evening length works to be presented at the Kennedy Center. And it was a splashy opening <laughs> for us. I felt like I had arrived. Yeah, we premiered this piece called Electric Idols that is, again, inspired by my time in Berlin, but is also inspired by every single night out I ever had in a gay club and, and the religious experience that a lot of queer people find on the dance floor, either, either in finding a community of queer people to exist in the same space with or being alone in a crowd and, and being free. So the freedom, the freedom of that, um, no matter what. And so Electric Idols was sort of my, a I say it was a love letter to every night out I ever had. They built a stage and we had techno music blaring across the landscape and beautiful, beautiful shirtless dancers just being incredible and celebrating, celebrating themselves and celebrating each other on stage. 
I love that so much. And I love that it's a love letter to your moments, like your favorite moments in your life. And I think I didn't connect this. So you went to Berlin as part of your research. Yes. Yeah. So I went to the University of Michigan for graduate school and uh, received a grant from the university to spend a month in Berlin over the summer going to raves and doing an ethnographic study of rave culture. So I spent a lot of time on sticky dance floors. <laughs> it was transformative. I, I absolutely would not be the person that I am right now without that. And Electric Idols would not have, would not be the show that it was. Like it was a very transformative experience for me. Hey there, Amber here. Just jumping in to say, I hope you're enjoying this podcast so far. Also want to give you a quick reminder that we have merchandise. That's right. We have t-shirts. We have tank tops. We have long sleeves. And now, we have beer koozies. That's right. You asked, I heard. And we now have beer koozies. Thank you so much to Baltimore T-Shirt Company for making all of this merchandise for us. And any purchases, all of that money goes towards the donation of beer and ballet and everything that we do here. Keeping this podcast going, keeping the classes going, keeping the website running, everything you want, everything you need. Um, with all of your support, it's all happening. So thank you for your support. I really appreciate it. And let's get back to the podcast. And that's why funding for the arts and funding for artists is so valuable and important. And I, and I just, you know, beer and ballet fans, I know some of you guys are accountants, some of you guys are grant writers, some of you guys are um, really trying to get involved within the dance community and the arts community. And I just want to give you guys a shout out because here's a product right now of, of the work that you're doing. You have this great artist who could go to Berlin and I mean, what what is kind of the difference? And now we're getting into thesis research. Oh dear, here's two MFAs talking right now. <laughs> but but did, what was the? Did you see any similarities and differences between Berlin rave, you know that that sort of life versus here, um, in in the United States? What struck me most because uh, I lived I went to undergrad living in New York um, and stayed there a couple years after graduating. And so I had a lot of, you know, downtown New York club nights out. Uh, and the biggest difference I remember, or the, the, the most immediately obvious difference was my first night in Berlin. I went out dancing and I'm used to, you know, being done up, having makeup on, having a huge headpiece on, going, standing on a box and just feeling seen and like I'm going to pull out all my best dance moves on this box and everyone's going to see what a good dancer I am and I get to Berlin and introspective is not the right word but the crowd is so just focused on feeling good together that no one is out there like showing off and whipping out their best dance moves everybody is just like calmly enjoying the music and moving moving because it feels good not because i look really good doing this move and and uh and uh you know a new york a new york nightclub background it was like oh this is a very different relationship to movement like this this right here is movement for movement's sake this is not and that was that was difficult to, to come to terms with i was like oh i have to relearn how to be on the dance floor with people this is, this is a different this is a different world and and I need to 
check into check into my body dancing in a different way than I ever have before. Yeah, it, that is so interesting because I I'd spent a little time in Guatemala. And I, I felt the same thing. Like that's so, it's interesting to me that like here in the United States, we're very focused on on, on what we want, right? Like, and, and there you are in this really great community of, oh no, we're all making one movement together. Like here's a group of people moving in one unit together just for fun, just for movement's sake. And I love that. I absolutely love that. So you briefly, again, sprinkled, um, <laughs> We're sprinkling a lot here on this podcast, y'all. <laughs> it's great. You, you chatted a little bit about some of the film work that you've done. And what I'm curious about, and again, with COVID, I'm, I'm getting the same thing within our MFA program of, okay, y'all, you're going to have to figure out if you want to do a virtual performance, here's some film elements you got to do. Um, so, so what's it like to be a choreographer, an artist, a director of your own company, and you're doing all of these multiple film works and being behind the camera instead of in front of it. I like to be in control. And, and so having either being the one directing or being the one physically holding the camera, I have so much more control over how things are seen. I had a friend uh, come and see a performance of mine a long, long, long time ago before I was really doing film work. and. He saw this piece and afterwards we were talking about it and he said, you know, whenever I see a piece of yours, I feel like you have made it to be seen from a perfect spot. Like the whole dance is meant to be seen from right here. You're not interested in, oh, well, this audience member is, you know, the third balcony way over to the left. What are they seeing? You are, you are always creating from this perspective. And when I started switching to film, it made so much sense. It was like, yes, I absolutely want to curate what the audience is seeing. I don't, for me, it's not interesting to think about the whole picture and, and sort of presenting this complex piece on stage. What I want is I want you to see the thing, the thing, not a thing that's also existing. I want you to see the thing. And so uh, that was, that's what I find most really like I can curate, I can curate this experience. Yeah. And in one of your recent, I'm guessing recent because of COVID, um, you called it hashtag internet princess. Yes. I just watched it and I'm obsessed. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's totally this new aspect of film. And again, like I, I talk about, there's so many negatives with COVID, but there's so many beauties where like this, this little treasure is made where it's like just the computer screen and, and you totally having a blast on your computer screen um, kind of walking through. I don't know if you want to chat about that piece a little bit. Yeah, that um, premiered at Dance Place here in DC in November. Um, part of a, a film series they were doing in response to COVID of, all right, we can't put on shows. So everybody submit some things you're making with film. And it's an idea that I've been working with. I actually started it in grad school. <laughs> grad school always pops back up. But the the piece, just to describe it for, for all you listeners out there, the piece is just a screen capture of my computer screen. And it is a choreography of browser windows that are moving being relocated. I have a couple videos that play on loop that get moved around. And so 
the idea is that you are, it's almost like you're looking over someone's shoulder while they're browsing the internet. And, and it's like, I feel anyway, that it's deeply personal and also very alienating because it is just this screen moving in front of you, but you feel close to whoever this person is that's moving these objects on the screen. It is very much a quarantine piece. It is, it is very much a, I am lonely and my entire world exists on this, on this computer screen right now. I see all my friends on this screen. I watch all my TV on this screen. I do all my choreographing and rehearsals on this screen. Like this is, this is my world right now. I'm not happy. <laughs> I don't love that that's the case, but I really, Internet Princess was just sort of like, how do I navigate all the ways that this screen is important? Yeah, I, I keep saying, if anything, if my computer dies, that's it. Like my that's whole it. world is over. <laughs> it, it's over. And your phone too. It's like between your computer and phone, it's like, dear Lord. Uh, and now I'm getting mad at my phone. I had to throw it across the room the other day because I was like, I, I did that thing where I, you know, habitually just picked it up and opened it. I was like, Robert, you have nothing to look at. No one is talking to you. Like, put this away. This is not useful. This is not making you feel good right now. I was like, get away from me. So now let, let's kind of dive in a little bit. And you've, again, sprinkled it. Your relationship with ballet. And I know it's a tough one. Um, and, I, and I hear about that a lot from other people as well, too. But right now you're, you're teaching a couple of online classes, or you were during COVID. And now you're teaching ballet at Dance Place, which is what you were talking about earlier, which yeah. friends, again, that's like a really great dance community that's within Washington, D.C. Um, I have yet to go there, but I'm excited to go there, taking a couple of the online classes, and I can't wait. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to talk about a couple of your classes that you're having, maybe what your focus, again, you, you talked about it a little bit, but like what your main focus is after we just talked about your MFA thesis and, you know, a little bit of the ideas of what House and Bambi stands for, you know, how do you bring that in within your ballet classes? I, I mean, I have 20, 25 years of ballet training. So my body has been very informed by ballet through all different developmental stages. And so I, you know, for all the, for all the criticism I have of the culture of ballet, I also and built by it. And so, and so I, I have to find value in that because I owe, I owe my physicality to that, to that training. And so when I'm teaching my, my goal for ballet is to let people see it as, as, um, as mechanics, as physics, like dance is physics, the pirouette our arms are in, in first in a pirouette because you're building centrifugal force to keep yourself spinning around the top. Like all of these things are, are physics and people get bogged down with, oh, ballet seems really intense, it seems really intimidating, everyone seems really mean, or you have to be perfect, or oh, I've never taken dance before and, and this is really overwhelming. And what I try to do is create a room that is fun. So I mostly teach to pop music. Um, and, and I really just want, I want my students to see that, that this is all just skeletal mechanics. That's all we're doing. And, and there doesn't have to be baggage. If you want to learn about all the baggage, there's 
lots of accounts of, of the baggage of ballet. Um, every, I teach at, at American University and I start every semester that I'm teaching ballet there by, by acknowledging with the students that like ballet has been and is racist. Ballet has been and is classist, you know, um, all, of, all of these things. So we can't ignore that those are part of the heritage of this form, but we can also work to see, like I, keep, I just keep saying the mechanics, but, but, see, but see what this technique does to musculature rather than, oh, well, I want to be dainty. Oh, ballet has been and is sexist. Like all, all of the things uh, uh, that, that, that we, are, we, are training, we are training our muscles to respond. Yeah, I, I've taught at a couple of high schools. It was like private institutions. So instantly when I took that job, there was a couple of man, like they had, it was, if they were boys, they had to take usually in like middle school, a dance class. And then they split the girls and the boys up. And then through those classes, I love sports. So we would chat about sports and I would be like, you guys, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they actually take ballet classes. Did you know that? And we would have that conversation. And then eventually some of them would really love dance, like period. They just loved it. Ballet, especially too. Like, I don't know how that happened or how I got that interest for them, but it worked and it was great. great. Yeah. But I had to have a lot of heavy conversations with parents of like, my, my boy is, and you were touching on this earlier in the conversation. My boy is really interested in ballet. Like, what does that mean for him in the future? And I was like, well, he likes ballet. That's it. Like he's, he's an, he's an athlete. He loves to move, you know, maybe he'll still play football or sports or whatever. Why does that matter? (laughs) It's okay. Like he's, he's really loving what he does. We are the generation that's trying to change those ideas, trying to change those biases a little bit of, of the viewpoint of ballet, which I think is really important. And I, I feel like you're doing that at Dance Place and, and everywhere you're teaching is, is trying to change that mold of, and, and naming it, like calling it out of like, ballet is racist, ballet is sexist, ballet, these are all the things that it's been known for. Let's change that. Like, let's be done with it and try and move forward a little bit. So I think yeah. that's really important. And just, I also think that ballet is fun. Like, and so. So it feels good to take class. And if, if we're scaring everyone away, either through you know, a culture of prejudice against them or, or because they you know, don't feel welcome um, or haven't been shown that they can be welcome, I just want people to come to class and see that this is fun. Can be. and ballet fans, I hope you enjoyed part one of Robert Woofter's interview. He's from House of Bambi. Please, please, please go ahead and check them out on Instagram, Facebook, their website. They're a great company and he is a wonderful artist that's doing some amazing work. I also want to chat very quickly about the last little bit of our conversation. It is a subject that I hold near and dear to my heart. It is something that um, really was the source of the start of beer and ballet, which is people who don't feel welcomed within the ballet space, people who don't feel welcomed within the dance space. And that could be performing, taking class, 
um, workshops, whatever that realm may be, um, it, it, it did strive from this conversation that I had with someone at a brewery of why they don't feel welcomed within the dance world. So I am cooking up a conversation in the future, um, talking about those racial profiles, talking about those gender norm profiles that often happen not only in the ballet realm, but within the dance realm as a whole. But in the meantime, I want to give you a resource that I have been using, um, or a couple of them, I guess, um, of these wonderful conversations that are beginning to happen within the dance community. So one in particular is called The Dance Union. They have a website. They have Instagram. They have a podcast. They also have monthly town hall meetings with the community of D.C., Baltimore, um, multiple communities up here that are talking about some of these subjects. Another one is where Robert actually works, Dance Place. They have a couple of live conversations um, that they are happy to provide and we're very thankful that they provide but there's multiple resources within the dance community that's striving and working hard to begin these conversations and also broadcast these conversations because it's very important that not only we have it internally but we show our audiences that we are having these conversations we see some of these complexities that are happening and we are recognizing that they are unfortunately involved in the world that we work and how can we change that? And I think Robert is doing a fantastic job in doing that. So again, those are a few resources. Those are not all the resources. If you would like more, happy to answer any emails that you send me and I will help out in any way that I can. So I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. I hope you enjoy next week's podcast when we have part two of Robert Woofter's interview. And I look forward to y'all hearing about that soon. Have a great rest of your week. Bye. Bye.